theextraordinarychurch.ca podcast, where ordinary people experience extraordinary life in Jesus Christ. You are about to hear a message that will encourage you to become and experience all that Jesus Christ has for you. Are you ready? Open up your Bibles because something extraordinary is about to happen. If you believe that, I think you ought to just put your hands together and give the Lord a hand clap of praise. At this time of year, we may have even heard something in this regard in a pre-service prayer at the onset of the service, but we'll often kind of talk about crossing over leaving one year and moving to another. And we look back and we think, well, God brought us to another year. So looking back, we say, well, we ought to praise Him. That's kind of what happened when God led the children of, of Israel through the waters. And a lady named Miriam grabbed her timbrel and she began to sing to the Lord, for He hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. It was the right song. My pastor says it like this. It was on the wrong side. She waited until the deliverance and then decided to sing. So, listen, we've done a great job praising today, but let me give you a little perspective shift. We've come in here with thanksgiving, and we've said, thank God for bringing us through 2022. Let's praise Him as 2023. You had, your, you had your time to do that. Now, let me help you. Forget about 2022. I want you to mentally jump to January 1st, 2024. And I don't want you to praise God right now for everything He helped you get through in the last 12 months. I want you to praise God for what He's about to do in 2023. Hey, if you thought this was good, you better get ready. Because it's just getting started. The best really is yet to come. The greatest miracles have not happened yet. The greatest demonstrations of God have not happened yet. The greatest outpourings of the Holy Spirit have not happened yet. You don't have to wait till you get through to praise Him. You can praise Him right now in anticipation of what this year is going to have for your house and your family. Jesus. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. Amen. What a dynamic presence of the Lord is here. No better place to be on a Sunday. No better place to be in the first day of your year. 
if I was anywhere within driving distance of this place, this would be my church. This is where I'd be. But I'm not, so I just have to accept that yearly invitation, and I promise you I'd do it with gladness. In fact, more times than not, if Pastor Akil and I are talking, it's just, you just tell me when. You just tell me when. I'll move whatever around. You just say when. I'm going to be there. I love Extraordinary Church. I love your pastor, his family. I love what God is doing. And I'm very honored to be here and play a small part. Amen. I want to open uh, this afternoon in the book of Hebrews, chapter number 6 and verse number 1. not the kind of guy that keeps record of what I preach, where I preach, and so some of what I say, I don't know if I've said it here before or not, but I've kind of wrestled with the Lord from early this morning and just tried to gather my thoughts. It may not be the most clear. It may be repetitive if I've shared some of this before, but I do feel like I have a very clear direction from the Lord today. The book of Hebrews chapter number 1. Uh, We're not really going to consider the full context of Hebrews chapter 6, but there is in particular a a challenge in this verse in a few words I want to draw your attention to. The writer says, So let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. Now I will say this. I think every church ought to have a shallow end of the pool. What I mean is it doesn't matter how little you know or how far you feel from God there's a shallow end at extraordinary church it's like the child who's afraid to jump in the deep end knowing they don't know how to swim you don't have to fear that here there's a place for you but you got to understand in Hebrews he's writing to a people who are who are we could say well educated familiar they've got a level of comprehension they've they've been around a little while It's time to make some progress. So he continues, let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds and placing our faith in God. Looking at that sentence in the middle of the verse, he says, let us go on. Let us go on from those basic teachings and instead become mature in our understanding. I would tell you today that the mission of God in and through Extraordinary Church, the mission of God in this region requires the maturity of people. There is a shallow end of the pool, but you just got to get in knowing there is a deep end. I'll tell you a funny little story. We had uh, this university student when I was in Halifax from, uh, is it Nambia? Is that an African country? Yeah. Namibia, yeah. And trying to get to know him and, you know, make friends. And I said, well, you know, what are your hobbies? He said, Swimming. I like swimming too, but I never really met anybody that calls swimming their hobby. 
do you, do you lap swim? Is it synchronized swimming? Just you go to free swim? And I kid you not, he said, well, I don't know how to swim. I said, brother, I got a problem right now. Because I'm looking at, you know, your six foot three stature. And you just told me you, you like to swim, but you can't swim. And the only visual I have in my mind is you sitting in one of those little plastic kiddie pools, kind of splashing water on yourself. Now, if my three-year-old son wants to do that, I've got no objection. But if this 20-year-old, six-foot-three man's sitting in a kiddie pool, that kind of looks a little bit funny. What you're a part of requires your maturity. There was a season of your life when it was all right to splash around the kiddie pool. But as you get around this, and you get in this book, and you get in the atmosphere of the Spirit, it starts to produce something in you. And I tell you today, it requires your maturity. And so with the help of God, I want to preach to you on this title, The Maturity Mandate. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you for these great people, this beautiful church family. I thank you for how you're working and moving through each of them and their respective community of influences in this region. I believe you have a word for us today, God. I'm asking that your anointing would help me. I'm praying, Lord, that the unction of your Holy Spirit would be upon me. I pray there would be a demonstration of your power. When the kingdom come, it comes with salvation. It comes with healing. It comes with deliverance. And I'm praying in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that that will be here today. Would you say in Jesus' name? The Lord bless you. You can be seated. <clears throat> the maturity mandate. Over the past couple years, as I've begun to travel more and more, it's afforded me the unique perspective to be exposed to the body of Christ at different segments of growth, whether it's a church plant and a living room, it's a church in a rented facility, buildings of several hundreds and sometimes a thousand or more, whether it's North America, Canada, the U.S., overseas, Europe, Africa, the Pacific region. I've been privileged to, to see the body of Christ in many different perspectives. I have to be honest with you that I, I'm somewhat troubled as I travel. Because I feel like we have reached a place where we have perfected the routine of religion. Many places we have mastered the mechanics of religious performance. We know what to do. Some of us have been doing it all our lives. So we know what it should look like. We know what it should feel like. We, we know the performance. But the simplicity of real spiritual living seems to be lost. Now, Paul wrote to that church in Galatians, and he said, if, if you live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. He was saying, if you've been baptized in Jesus' name, if you've received the gift of the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> then let us also walk in the Spirit. It should affect how you live, how you think, how you talk. 
It's not just a Sunday gathering. It really is a way of life. It determines what I do and where I go and how I live. It's spiritual living. I by no means have perfected this, but, but I am on an unending quest to live my life like this. I've moved my family, born and raised in Canada, across the world, and now back to the United States because I heard God say go. There wasn't an opportunity. There was no great invitation. It was simply because I felt the Spirit of the Lord leading. We are at a pivotal point in the history of God's work in the world. Because God is looking for people and places that will forsake the performance and the regimented routine that we have become accustomed to and get back to the, what I would call, Edenic nature that God had in His relationship with Adam and Eve in that garden. That individually we would get back to that simplicity and corporately we would get back to the organic nature of a book of Acts church. Not trapped in systems and processes though we need those things in the local body. For that is how we steward God's resources. We have to understand that you can't systemize the Spirit. There's got to be a level of organic movement in the body where the Spirit can do what the Spirit wants to do. And so today I want to preach to you for a few minutes on a principle or a process of growth that is necessary for you both individually and collectively to come to a place of maturity that you can accomplish the mission God has ordained for your life. I'm not going to read any of these verses for the sake of time, but you can find the story in Luke chapter 1 and 2. An angel comes to a virgin who's engaged to a man named Joseph, soon to be married. And the angel tells her that, Mary, you have found favor with God. What's about to be born in you is a holy thing. It's of God. And she, as you can imagine, is perplexed at this. And she asks this angel, well, how, how shall this be? How shall this be? How will I know, seeing I know not a man? What she's telling him is, I'm a virgin right now. And I have every intention to be a virgin until the day I get married. And I know every child that's ever been born has only been born one way. So you explain to me how this virgin, unwilling to relent or surrender her purity, can be with child. And the angel reassures her, I'm not asking you to surrender it, for it's your purity that qualified you in the first place. The prophet said, a virgin shall be with child. And he gives this simple statement. The power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Now, I know if you're a left brain individual and you work in the realm of engineering and science, it might be a little bit hard for you to comprehend today. But you're going to have to lay your logic down on the altar of the supernatural because let me tell you how this thing works. Through the power of the Holy Ghost. Don't you try to complicate it. Don't you try to comprehend it. Just let go of logic and let God work. You want to know how your family's going to be reached? Through the Holy Ghost. 
You want to know how your life's going to be transformed? Through the Holy Ghost. You want to know how your body can be healed? Through the Holy Ghost. You want to know how your church can grow? Through the Holy Ghost. You want to know how you can get a building or a property or multiple properties? Through the Holy Ghost. And I know there's a part of you that wants to make sense. You want to draw blueprints and you want to count dollars and pennies. There'll be a time for that. But you just know this. The only way this thing happens in the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ is through the power of the Holy Ghost. You can't program it. You can't plan it. You can't systemize it. Sometimes you just got to take your hands off and let the Holy Ghost do what only the Holy Ghost can do. And that was enough for me. Be it unto me according to thy word. Now one would think, if she really believed what the angel said, knowing the prophecies defining the location of the birth of the Messiah, one would think, when she knows her time to give birth is drawing near, that if the scriptures foretold the birthplace of the Messiah, that she would get to that place. Would you not? If you believe the child in your room, womb was really the Messiah that was going to save all the world, and the prophets have said he's going to come from a place called Bethlehem, would you not, knowing the time of deliverance was drawing nigh, get your family to Bethlehem? But she's nigh unto birth, and she's some 60 or 70 miles away. And the only reason she finds her way to Bethlehem is because Herod called for a census. God forgive us, but sometimes it's easier for God to move his finger on the heart of an earthly ruler than to get the attention of his own people. She knew what the scripture said. She should have been there. But she wasn't. And so God said, well, I, I'll move you one way or another. You're not moving on the basis of prophetic positioning? No problem. I'll just put my hand on the heart of an earthly leader. And your national citizenship will force you into a position of discomfort to discover things you otherwise wouldn't have discovered. Kind of sounds like COVID to me. You didn't like it, but you didn't invite it. But when we weren't moving the way we were supposed to be moving and living with the sensitivity we were supposed to be living with, God said, that's all right. If you're not going to turn your ear to my voice, I have another way to get your attention. And so she mounts that donkey and rides the 70 miles to Bethlehem. And when she gets there, now she's finally in position for the prophecy to be fulfilled. And she gives birth to that child. And now this is one of three glimpses we get into the life and the development and the maturity of Jesus Christ. Herod issues a decree for the slaughter, the killing of every male child under the age of two. The fact is, he's not interested in this mass genocide. 
He really only has intention to kill one child. But if he can't find the one with certainty, he is willing to kill them all. Now what in the world would be so threatening to a leader with an army at his disposal? What is so intimidating about a two-year-old boy running around his mother's living room? The fact is, that two-year-old boy wasn't always going to be a two-year-old boy. There was a prophecy on that body that said of the increase of his government and his kingdom, there shall be no end. To put it in modern vernacular, you can do whatever you want to do. You can't stop it. You can write whatever law you want to write. You can change whatever law you want to change. You can't stop it. But Mary and Joseph are just as human as you and I. And now they've got to endure the unfortunate circumstance and the mental and emotional agony of this present predicament based upon the decree of Herod. I remind you, Jesus is only but two years old. Hardly enough old enough to form complete sentences, let alone comprehend who he really is. He's living in the season of unrealized potential. But his unrealized potential is still enough to attract adversity from his adversary. You want to know why you're fighting like hell? You want to know why you can't get a break? There's a battle on every side? Thank God for asking. Let me tell you why. It's because you've got potential locked up inside of you that you haven't discovered yet. You've got greatness in you. You've got ministry in you. You've got giftings in you. You say, preacher, but I don't know. I don't see it. I don't believe it. That's the problem. And the enemy deceives you into making a decision in your season of unrealized potential. Because you look at all the hell in your world and you say, all of this isn't worth what I have right now. Oh, it might not be worth what you have right now. But what you have right now is not all that you're ever going to have. And it's not all that you're ever going to be. The only way this two-year-old Jesus could survive the season of unrealized potential is because he had a daddy who could hear from God. And in the middle of the night, an angel comes to Joseph by dream and says, you need to take your family and get down to Egypt, and you stay there until I tell you to come back. See, he's submitting, but it's not by choice. And then the story says, we don't see or hear tell of the development of the Messiah until he's 12 years old. Mary and Joseph and her family begin the journey home from Jerusalem. And getting a whole day's journey out of the city, they come to the realization he's not here. You kind of see a pattern developing. Because if if you really believed he was the Messiah, 
Ah, just me. But if you really believed, God forgive me. I'd probably show a little bit more diligent care. You might even call it favoritism. I don't advocate that in, in your parental relationships. But if you really believe that that 12-year-old boy was the one who would one day shed his blood for the salvation of humanity, you might think you'd have a little bit more diligent sense of stewardship about him. They get a day out of Jerusalem, and you know what the Bible says? They start looking among their, their, their family and their acquaintances as if to say, I just assumed somebody else was going to accept responsibility for him. I know I was neglecting my duty. I know I wasn't doing what I should, but I just assumed somebody else would make sure he was with us. And so they turn around. And they take a day's journey back to Jerusalem. But the Bible says it's three days that pass from the time they lost him until they find him. Now, let's do the math. One day out, one day back. They spent a full day searching for him. I can't prove it. It's not, it's not explicitly clear in the Scripture. Human nature hasn't changed a lot in a couple thousand years. I'm inclined to believe that when they returned to Jerusalem looking for their 12-year-old son, more than likely, you know what they did? They found all the other 12-year-old boys presuming him to be there. They walk by the playground. They go by the basketball court, the soccer field. They find the video game club. You know, they're kind of making the rounds, but they can't find Jesus anywhere. And to our amazement, you know where they find him? Sitting in the temple. And here he is with the doctors and the scribes talking about the law. And his mother comes broken. Son, why, why have you done this to us? Do you realize the grief you have caused me and your father? Do you realize the brokenness of heart we felt and the worry we had towards you? And why would you do this? And that 12-year-old boy with this sense of awe and revelation and clear understanding looks at his mother and says, Don't you know I have to be about my father's business? This is what I call the moment where Jesus embraces his missional identity. This is what he's telling her. Hey, Mom, I know in your eyes I'm no different than every other 12-year-old boy. I know you think I'm like every other kid on the playground, but I know who I am. I know that I have literally been born to die. I know who I am. I'm not like everybody else. I can't just do what everybody else does. I can't live like everybody else lives because I've been born with a purpose and an identity that comes from heaven. See, he's developing. At 12, it was a season of unrealized potential. At 2... Now at 12, it's his season of realized potential. But realized potential and actualized potential are not the same thing. 
And so the same way he was sustained under the onslaught of Herod by the involuntary submission to his father and his mother, he will now be sustained in his season of realized potential. But this time, his submission will not be involuntary. He's old enough to choose. He's looking at his mother. Mom, do you know who I am? Do you know that the blood that flows through this body could heal every sickness you've ever dealt with? Do you know it could take away every pain you've ever had? Do you realize the words that I say can stop every storm the earth has ever seen? I know who I am. And that mother's like, "Mm -hmm. I do know who you are. But you're only 12 years old. So I imagine she kind of walked over there and she just said, I don't know. We'll grab you by the ear, boy, and you coming home. Because the Bible said he went home and was subject unto them. You said, but, but, but why he knows who he is, couldn't he? No, I'll tell you why he couldn't have gone to the cross right then. Multiple reasons. One is because the principle of typology. Jesus couldn't assume the role of, of the priest until he was 30 years old. That's the theological side. Let me tell you about the real living side. You put that 12-year-old boy in the Garden of Gethsemane, he wouldn't have got down on his knee and said, nevertheless, not my will, because he would have been too immature. You put that 12-year-old boy in the garden on the eve of his death, on the, on the eve of his crucifixion, on the verge of abuse, you know what that 12-year-old boy would have been doing? Mom! Because you can't fulfill the mission if you're not walking in maturity. And here's Mary looking at that 12-year-old boy. She's saying, yeah, I I see it now. You know who you are. I've known all along. An angel came to me one night 12 years ago. I've known who you were, Jesus. I was just waiting until the moment you got old enough to realize who you were, that you were what the Bible called the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Now that you know, now that you understand, we can begin to fashion you and form you to fulfill the purpose God has for you. This was his season of realized potential. And let me tell you where a lot of people go wrong. They come to the season of realized potential and they start operating out a sense of earthly ambition. They want position and they get prideful and they get elevated. You hear this preacher, you, you, you want to take a short track to spiritual destruction? You just, you just do that right there. You just get puffed up with pride in your season of realized potential. You say, oh, pastor, I know God called me. Pastor, I have this gift. Pastor, this is who I am. Well, thank God that you've realized who you are. But just because you've realized it doesn't mean it's time for you to actualize it. You're going to have to learn the beauty of submission if you're one going to be sustained in the process. And then after he comes out of the waters in the Jordan River, 18 years of silence. We see him at 2. We see him at 12. And now we see him at 30. The age where they're inaugurated into the priesthood. 
the age where he is inaugurating his ministry by being baptized by John in the Jordan River and he comes up out of the water and the spirit descends and speaks and he eventually makes his way in the next chapter to where? Cana of Galilee. And of all people, Mama. They're serving all that wine at that great wedding and they realize well, somebody done gone and messed up. I don't know who took the count, but they didn't do a very good job. We've run out. And mama, knowing full well what her little boy is capable of. Oh, don't worry. I've got the answer to this problem. Jesus! And like any strong-willed boy, he's got something to say to his mama. Hey, don't you know it's not my time? Actually, Jesus, it is your time. You're 30 now. And last time I read about you when you were 12 in the temple, the Bible said that when you went home, you were growing in wisdom and stature with God and with man. You've been growing in silence. You've been serving at home. You've been working with daddy for 18 years. You knew who you were at 12, but there was a process of maturity that was happening in you. And I see something you don't see. Now is the time. And so you know what he does? He does what any good boy does. He submits to mom. Are you seeing this? Submitting is what saved him when he was two. Submitting is what developed him when he was 12. And it was also what released him when he was 30. Oh, I know what you think. You think you got to walk in there with your badge of honor and your resume of credentials to justify to somebody else why you need to no, know. That's not how you get released. If you try to justify your release on your terms, you walk into destruction because you walk with no covering. You walk with no safety. But if you just submit, then at the appointed time, the same submission that saved you and developed you would release you. I can preach it to you because I've lived it. There were times when I could only prophesy in part. I didn't see with the fullness of spiritual understanding that I tried to operate in my ambition. I tried to operate out of my earthly desire, but I had spiritual covering that said, whoa, Dan, I think you just need to slow down a little bit. And so all the things didn't unfold quite in the way Dan McLeod thought they were going to unfold. But when the time was right, the same submission that saved me and develop me. It released me to be who God called me to be. I'm talking to you about maturity because this is the only way you go from infancy to maturity. You want to see some spiritual things? 
You want to experience supernatural stuff? You, you, you want to walk in that dimension of power? All you've got to do is say. It's three and a half years later. The same person who knew who he was at 12, but was now at a place of maturity, gets down on his knees in a garden called Gethsemane. He says, if there's any way, let this cup pass. But if not, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He was bringing his life into alignment with heaven. And when that happened, you know what the Bible said? Angels came and ministered strength to him. The only way you get that kind of ministry is when you submit. Oh, yeah, you can preach a good message. You can perform. We've got thousands of churches and people know how to do that. In your flesh, you can carve out a little kingdom in your own name and deceive people with your cunning craftiness to think that you're somebody special. But the only angels that will follow you will be the ones that got kicked out of heaven. Because I'll tell you what spirits do. Spirits seek company for those that they are in agreement with. And depending how you choose to align yourself will determine whether you have the fellowship of the angels that were kicked out of heaven or the angels that operate with the Lord of hosts. The choice is yours. But I'm talking to you today about a maturity that is necessary for the mission to be fulfilled. And you can't do it in your own strength. You can't do it in your own power. You don't have the ability in your giftings. You don't have the intellect. You're not great enough. But I'll tell you who is. God. And when you can't do it, when you don't have enough strength, and you just submit in that moment, God says, it's all right. I have resources that you don't know about. I want you to look at this. Look at Galatians chapter 4, verse number 1 and 2. Now I say that an heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the appointed time of the father. You get that? An heir. It's yours. Legally and rightfully yours, because your blood and your name. But if you're a child, you're no different than a slave. Because though you might be an heir, your immaturity disqualifies you from the opportunity of rulership. And so the father has to put you under some things and under some people to get rid of the immaturity, to produce the maturity. And when that maturity is produced, when you move from unrealized to realized to actualized, that 
is the appointed time of the Father. Hear me now. Appointed time is not in reference to a calendar day. He's not saying on January the 1st, 2023, you're going to get everything I promised you because that's the date I set. The appointed time has nothing to do with the calendar and everything to do with your maturity. And when God sees that you've come to the place of maturity that is necessary, he says, all right, I can trust you now. I know you'll use this the way it needs to be used. You won't use this with selfish ambition. You won't use this with earthly gain. You're going to do this for my name and my glory. You're going to use this for my kingdom. Now I can give you what was always yours. When you got baptized, when you were just a little kid, when you got the Holy Ghost a year or two ago, it, it, that made you an heir. You were entitled to it all the way back then. I just couldn't let you have it because you were too spiritually immature. I'll tell you today in the fear of God, you, you hear me? That's what the Holy Ghost spoke to me this morning. He said, no unfulfilled prophecy is ever a fault of my own. No promise unfulfilled is never because I erred. You have the ability to determine what happens. If you give yourself to the process and you give yourself to the development and you pursue maturity like never before, something that today looks like it is a year away could show up next month. Because the time appointed is not a date on a calendar. It's a moving window based upon the level of maturity you are operating at. You want to be a 40-year-old man with water wings splashing in the kitty size into the pool. We're going to love you. We're going to hug on you. But there's some things you're going to miss in the kingdom by your unwillingness to do what is necessary to grow into spiritual maturity. But there's all kinds of things God has for you. All kinds of things God would open to you if you would give yourself. This is what Made for More is all about. This is what reading your Bible is all about. It's because... God really did make you for more than you are right now. And the miracle of it is it's already in you. Jesus didn't get it when he was 12. He didn't even get it when he was 2. He got it as an embryo in the womb when it was conceived of the Spirit. That's why the Lord told the prophet Jeremiah, oh, I knew you. I knew you. Before you were ever formed in your mother's womb, I had ordained thee a prophet to the nations. It was in you long before you ever realized it. But it's in your submission you discover what I've hidden inside of you. Listen, I know who I am. I don't need people to validate me. I know who I am. But I didn't discover that by myself. There were things I was hungry for. 
There were things I was dispositioned toward. There were curiosities God wired in the genetic makeup of Dan McLeod. But I didn't understand it until God set some people over me at seasons and times to identify things and to draw things out of me. And it was in my voluntary submission in those seasons that formed me, fashioned me, come to a place of maturity. And so Paul said in Ephesians 4, that's why he's given us apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints. In other words, to make the saints, equip the saints that they would do the work of the ministry. You know why? He goes on to say a couple verses later that we be henceforth no more children tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. In other words, your ability to be biblically sound in knowledge and lifestyle is evidence of your maturity. But the only way you can get there is by submitting to the ministry of apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. Hear me right now. You got a great pastor. I believe he's an apostle, but you got a great pastor. In fact, I'd like to have a little conversation with the Lord. I don't think it's fair that you can preach good, sing good, look good, be stylish. I mean, just swah. I mean, But you hear me, if you're not careful, you'll let the charisma and the authentic love of that man entertain you. God didn't bring him here to entertain you. God brought him here to develop you. To bring you to a place of maturity. So you can do what God needs you to do. Because the Thompson family is not the only family God needs in Mississauga or the GTA. Akil Thompson is not the savior of the GTA. He's called by God. He's an apostle in this region. But let me tell you, what God needs is all of us to come to the realization, I am made for more. There's more in me than I'm operating at right now. There's more in me than I'm living with right now. But the only way I discover what that is is by submitting and by serving because it's in the process I discover the power that was formed in me at conception. Hey, he's going to be who he always is. He's going to make you laugh. He's going to make you smile. But you just need to be aware. He's not just here to entertain you. In fact, can I... Can I help you a little bit today? You want, you want heaven's blessing on your life? The Bible says that you got to live your life in such a way that it is a joy for him to lead you. I know there's always one or two people when you get touching this kind of thing who are like, well, they're just trying to make about the pastor. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. That's a fearful thing. Because he's going to stand before God one day. Before the righteous God. The judge of all the earth. And he's going to have to have a conversation 
with the judge about how he led God's people. So before you get dismissing and, and all that stuff, and you get throwing attitudes about that, you just understand that's a fearful position to be in. But I'm telling you today, you want to unlock the potential that God put in you? You want to unlock the greatness in the ministry that God put in you? You want to be and do everything that God has for you? There's only one way it happens. When you submit to the process. And in the process, God starts forming you. Would you lift your hands to the Lord? In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. I'm getting ready to close here. I want you to hear me. Let's receive it. Just open up your heart, lift up your hands, and just receive the ministry of the Lord. Father, we thank you. We love you. Have your attention for a minute. I'm getting ready to close, but I'm done after I'm going to share this, and then we're going to take some time and just respond. Let the Lord minister. The Lord began talking to me this past week about extraordinary church. The Bible says in John 12 and 32, Jesus says, If I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. I want you to think the visual of a cross. You understand Jesus was crucified. That cross is composed of beams of two directions. There's a horizontal beam and there's a vertical beam. speaks to us of the two directions of focus. That vertical beam is heaven and earth. That horizontal beam is all that is in the earth. His arms spread wide. But you know, if you're going to raise up a cross... You could nail him to that horizontal beam, but the cross can't stand without a vertical beam. If I could say it to you this way, vertical alignment is necessary for horizontal reach. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, the next verse says, this spake he of his death, knowing how he would die. He knew he was talking about the cross, about a crucifixion. He was saying, if you'll lift me up, what was he doing? He was coming into alignment. 
Because the Bible said he was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. The plan, the path had been predetermined. There was no other way it could happen. What he was saying was I submit. I know it can't happen any other way. I'm bringing my flesh into subjection. I'm submitting to the process. I'm coming into vertical alignment. And because he was in vertical alignment, the cross could be raised. And when it was raised, his arms were wide. He said, I will draw all men unto You know, he can draw them more effectively than we can convince them. But you don't get the drawing if you don't first have the alignment. They could have nailed his hands to that horizontal beam. And the best it would have been was a man nailed to a beam laying on the ground. The only way for that cross to be raised up was for it to be a vertical alignment from heaven to earth. And the intersection of that vertical beam and that horizontal beam would have been right about where the heart. You, you want a miracle in your life? I'll tell you how it needs to happen. You need to get in alignment with God. Because the intersection of vertical alignment and horizontal reach, that's where miracles happen. i can prove it to you. I mean, I, I had a whole host of scriptures I wrote down this morning if I had time, but I, we don't. But I'll prove this one to you. What happened? What happened to Peter and John walking to the temple at the hour of prayer? The hour of prayer. Scheduled prayer. I got they were prioritizing it. That sounds like vertical alignment to me. Hey, look, I, I, I know there's a Raptors game, but we got church at three, and I, I, have, to, I have to get you at another one. Look, I, I'd love to have dinner. I'd love to have dinner, but we got midweek Bible connection at 730. Like, if you want to plan for like 830, I'm good, or we can do another night of the week. I'm talking to you about maturity right now. Because they were walking to the temple at the hour of prayer. This was their scheduled practice. This was their discipline of spiritual living. There was a walking in vertical alignment, and it just so happened. There was a man there, lame, begging. The man of God looked at him and said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I unto thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. You know what that was? It was the intersection of somebody living in vertical alignment and horizontal reach.
That's where this happens. So the Holy Ghost challenge for all of us today and for this year is to recognize we have a mandate from God to pursue maturity like never before. Now, I know some of you just heard that reading your Bible announcement like it just, that's just announcement time. But I'm telling you, you need to read your Bible. You know why you're tossed about with every wind of doctrine? That's not just false doctrine. Doctrine just means teaching. It means every idea contrary to God. You know why you're so easily swayed? You know why your emotions are all over the place? You know why there's no peace or joy, no financial stability or marriages? You know why you're battling? Because you've got no maturity in your life. Look at Jesus' disciples in the storm. I've preached this to this church before. They're fearing for their life, and Jesus is sound asleep. You could see the emotional, the emotional read on them. They're like this, and Jesus is just... But he permitted it to teach them. You don't have to live like this. You can live like this. You can live like this through broken down cars and furnace issues and doctor's reports and big bill. You can live like this. Stand together with me. For those who are joining us online today, I thank you. I pray the word of the Lord has touched you. Pray that you would take a time of prayer in your home and let the Spirit of God begin to minister to you. Those who are here in person today, we're going to take some time here in just a moment. And we're going to gather collectively here at the front and we're going to let the Spirit of God just minister to us. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Join us next week for another message of hope and life in Jesus. If you like what you just heard, We hope you'll pass along our web address to all of your friends, extraordinarychurch.ca. We are a young church plant with a lot of people living an extraordinary life in Jesus. If you're looking for a way to become better connected to what God is doing, email us, info at extraordinarychurch.ca. We'd love to hear from you.